Hey, uh, this is Matt Traxler. I am with Steadfast Records and used to play guitar in a band called Branson. And this is my chapter of As the Story Grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Dominate. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? I am being realistic. As the story grows. I always want to be part of a small rebellion. You got this, Travis. Make them wait for it. Boom. How technology has changed how we all communicate. Yeah. So totally. I ran an online zine in high school. Yeah. And like to contact bands and people, like you'd have to go to either their crummy Angel Fire or GeoCities website, hope <laughs> right. there was a contact page with an email address, and hope it was actually a band member there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Completely, man. Now yes. it's just like, hey, Steadfast Records is back up. And it's like, follow them, follow Golden Streets of Paradise. And they're like, you should follow Matt Traxler. And then here we are on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> so man, thanks no, so much that's for... uh super cool. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. So thanks so much yeah. for being on As the Story Grows. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks for the invite. Super cool to talk to bands and musicians and people you like listened to before and still listen to now and whose work you enjoy. Um, well, thanks so much, and man. I, that's I'd cool like, to hear. tried for a while to get you guys on... Um, to get uh, Tom Mullen and Washed Up Emo to have you on, and he goes, oh, yeah, I have something with Steadfast uh, in the works. Oh. And then when oh, I right started on. doing this, I was like, oh, well, I'll just have them on. No, no, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I reached out to him when um, I was putting out the, the Golden Streets record just to kind of give him a heads up, yeah. um, just because it's pretty cool what he's doing. And, um, you know, I felt like that might be might resonate with some of his audience, so I just kind of reached out to him. Um, but yeah, so that's cool. Cool dude, he's doing a really, really cool thing. It's cool to see all his, all the stuff. I haven't got my hands on his book yet, but it's fun. Have, yeah, I don't have the book yet either. One day. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. totally. So, are you are you a native Clevelander? Yeah, yeah. I grew up here um, my whole life. Uh, I was, you know, born and raised. Um, was lucky enough to kind of get to leave town for about a decade doing the band thing. Um, and now I'm back here again, just kind of felt like home. What was growing up like for you in Cleveland? Um, well, it was, uh, it was cool. I, uh, I, I would say as far as, um, 
you know, my getting into music, I think, happened for me pretty young. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, um, say, I, I used to get like a dollar a week for a allowance or something, and I remember saving that up to um, to buy records. I remember my the first record I bought. <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing, but it was uh, Journey's Escape, <laughs> and um, I, I was I wanted it so bad, and I'd, I'd saved my allowance for like all these weeks. And I remember asking my grandmother because she was going to the store that had this. I was like, "Here, take this money." But I like gave her very like detailed description of what to look for and she did not disappoint she came back with that record <laughs> that's so awesome yeah um so yeah i like i started getting into music when i was a, a kid i just remember loving it like it just I, I remember sitting next to the stereo and just like memorizing the words to like i, I specifically remember little red corvette by prince for some mm -hmm. reason and <laughs> there were there were a handful of other songs and i i just like i just always was like oh man this is so cool i remember like making fake fake like uh like notebook paper tickets for fake <laughs> concerts i would have and invite my parents to them and then i would just turn on the radio and act like i was singing to them and stuff so i just was like super in love with music for as long as i can remember um but yeah grew uh grew up i i, I probably got like seriously into music um i'd say like when i was a kid i just loved it but i i never connected with it the way i did probably in around eighth grade or so mm -hmm. i started um just skateboarding and just hanging out with all the, the skater kids i was friends with and just found out about all these bands that i had like no idea i i grew up in this like very sheltered religious um just just kind of totally cut off um, world that I, I didn't have exposure to all this stuff. And all of a sudden I'm like listening to Minor Threat and like um, Dead Milkman and DRI and all this stuff was just like totally blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, so I think from that moment I was just like hooked. Like I, I just remember like just consuming and absorbing as much music as I possibly could. Um, and it never really struck me to, to pursue playing it. Um, I think I always felt intimidated. Like I, I couldn't do that. There's no way I could do this awesome thing that all these people are doing. Um, and, and so it just always kind of stayed away from me. I didn't start playing music until I think after I had graduated high school, I, I had had a couple guitar lessons when I was younger and I always had a guitar sitting around. Um, but I never really, never started playing music or really picked it up seriously until, I don't know, I was probably 19, wow. 19 or 20 or something. Late to the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but as soon as I did, I was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is what I want to do. I, I, I can't not do this. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, so I don't know. I, I grew up just kind of in love with music and just kind of absorbing as much of it as I could. And I feel like that just hasn't really stopped for me. My tastes have probably changed over the years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I still love music. I still get just as excited about a record or finding out about some band I didn't know anything about. And just like, there's just something that's so just really resonates and connects with me. Like 
almost on a spiritual level it seems like it's just mm-hmm. such an important medium to me yeah no it's it's so funny that every story it's like if you didn't have like an older sibling who showed it to you it was like skateboarding and that's how you got into like punk and hardcore <laughs> like, like that's awesome older sibling <laughs> is skateboarding oh that's so cool because I, I was I, a skate- I, I was a skateboarder and then into punk yes. and hardcore and then yeah, showed yeah. my younger brother <laughs> totally man that's so awesome yeah no there's just something i I still get so happy when i see like young kids skating and they just just still look like just bad kids and i'm just like man that's so awesome like see a kid with like blue hair and i'm like super pumped about it like it's like there's this continuing generational thing that it's it's cool that it's still happening and I don't know. It's. It, I think back to what that stuff meant to me when I was that age, and it just. It. I feel like it really helped get me through a lot of stuff and helped me kind of grow up and just kind of be a better person. I think. Yeah. So were you involved in the local scene up in Cleveland? Yeah, I mean, somewhat. I was. Um, I'm trying to think. If back there was a local scene, days. I mean, I know integrity. Yeah. And... Yeah. So I was. I had this weird thing where i was i was about an hour outside of cleveland okay um and it's just kind of farm country and it just kind of happened out of nowhere so i was in this small suburb maybe 20 minutes outside the city but I had a really good crew of friends that i grew up there i was there all my life then i was i think 17 or 18 and my parents moved um to a blueberry farm like literally a blueberry <laughs> farm in the middle of nowhere um and it was right at that same time I got my driver's license when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, everybody's such a complete moron when they're 16 and thinks they're really cool. So I did a lot of stupid stuff and just got speeding tickets and got just a bunch of tickets, basically. And somehow, by the time I was 18, I had lost my license. Oh, man. Um, and it was it, it coincided right as my parents moved out to this farm in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so it was just like this real kind of bummer, depressing, like, life where I was just like, I've got, like, nothing out here and I can't even leave. I, I, I can't go anywhere because I can't drive. So I, I, I was sort of removed for a little bit. And that was right around, I was in um, a hardcore band with Mike who's in Golden Streets of Paradise, mm-hmm. um, called Six Feet Deep. And that was right around the time I started getting to know those guys and be, I got introduced to them, became friends with them, and started hanging out with them a lot. And so Mike was a big, like, savior to me being able to, uh, to do anything because he would drive out there to the boondocks. It, it was at least a half hour each way. He would drive out and pick me up and take me home uh just to practice oh, well. with them um and then sometimes i'd get to go out to shows and stuff so so that was that was that lasted about a year and i i was about to lose my mind and i decided i was going to move out with some friends um so then at that point then i was like super involved in like anything i could get my hands on that was around when i started doing steadfast records the first time um was around 95 and that was, I, I just started going to like every show I could go to. There were a ton of DIY shows around here, like YMCA's and just different halls and house shows. And it it was super cool. There was a, a really, really great scene. Um, even the, 
even the actual like there was this cool venue called Speak in Tongues. It was just this rundown, amazing space that I just I got to see all these awesome bands, and it was just it was just run by kids, and it was super cool, and just like this legendary Cleveland landmark musically, and just to be able to to be there and get to witness some of that stuff was just life changing. Like I, I was like as soon as I was around that scene i was like oh yeah this is this is cool this is what i want to do i don't ever want to not be associated with this somehow so yeah i think that kind of lit lit the fire was like i I went from this like real kind of sheltered (laughs) stuck in the middle of nowhere lifestyle to being exposed to all this diy stuff that i didn't really know existed before um, and so it just kind of really excited me and I, I just kind of like dove in head first and just, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm going to start a record label. I'm going to be in a band. I'm going to like, it, it was just a hundred full throttle, hundred percent. So it was going to shows that made you want to start the label. And... Yeah. Yeah. I, there were so many shows just like, all the time and, um, just a really good show. I was a big part of, um, like it kind of big in the straight edge scene for a while Mm -hmm. um and just like all of those there were just always always bands here and because of that i I, that kind of grew into like a lot of the emo bands and seeing a lot of that stuff and getting exposed to some of the other kind of punk stuff that maybe wasn't on my radar Mm -hmm. before going to these shows so it was a really really cool way to kind of get exposed to a lot of stuff quickly were you in six feet deep before you started steadfast or yes yes actually yeah yeah i i I, my memory is horrible so i'm probably um completely botching all of these dates um but yeah i was in 60 deep i would say i would say that was like 93 or 94 somewhere in that range i believe um and that was just kind of like just kind of happened they needed a second guitarist and i like man mike taught me like everything i know about guitar <laughs> like i had like i said i think i had taken like four or five guitar lessons from like a youth pastor or something oh. when i was like 15 or 16 but mike just basically taught me how to play he taught me the songs and i it was just like just kind of happened and i just kind of fell into it and was like super stoked about it at the same time i was like oh this is totally totally what i want to do i just found it <laughs> so steadfast records um what was it you said 1995 yeah i i'm thinking back i believe it was 95 was probably the first release i did it was a split seven inch with um zeo and uh, a band from a hardcore band from ohio called outcast um and yeah i think that was 95 the my soul Destiny. And I know I must choose. Why the following I my mind so 
about uh, the early days of Zayo, what that was like. Man, those guys, I, such good kids. Always just like the most fun, amazing kids to be around with this just like incredible energy. Just like super positive. But they would go on stage and they were just monsters. And just like the most brutal thing you'd ever see. You'd see, you're hanging out with the nicest people you've ever hung out with and they go on stage and just thrash everything and just completely destroy. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it, it, it was really, really impressive. And I, I, I can say to this day, I've, I've never seen Zayo and not been completely blown away. Yeah. Like they, through all the lineups they've had, through all the member changes they've had, they've just always been a really solid band. Um, they've definitely you know, changed and matured and grown a lot since those early days. But even in those early days, it was, it was super cool. There was just a, a passion that they all had that they were just, they loved what they were doing and they were having a, a good time doing it and were just super serious about it and in the right way and had the best attitude about it. It was just, it was cool to watch. Trying to look through the label's discography, it looks like you've mostly work with Zayo and there were some compilations too um and then yeah you, you yeah. released one of the versions of road less travel eventually oh right? yeah 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 that <laughs> so i did i i don't have that on the discography page it's not really an official release that was kind of the the around the time when i was deciding to do that okay. we were putting out road less traveled with six feet deep and we had already we were signed to this contract um and i, I remember uh from the episode with mike he went into a, a little bit of what a mess that was but yeah. it was one of these things where it was this sort of last ditch effort where they were like they were putting it out and we're like hey put this on as like an imprint label and nobody asked any questions so we just did it um but it, it, that was really the only affiliation i had with it i was a part of the record or a, a, a part of the band but yeah. I, I didn't really do anything for that record so so i'm i'm curious about you guys put out um radio waves and gibberish yeah yeah um and like it's a monster compilation i mean training for utopia intermeans yeah through yeah, and through awesome spitfire sleeping by the riverside disciple chalice was this all of, what was this 97 yeah yeah i believe so was that, that all is. like pre those bands signing to solid state or i think i think it was either pre or right around when they were i i, I think uh training for utopia had their first ep out okay. when and i i don't I'm not sure that there was anything beyond that, um, but I, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Spitfire and um, I, th I think it, and Inner Means for sure. But yeah, I, I believe the uh, Training for Utopia, their first EP, that four song thing or whatever that was, was uh, the only one that was out at that point, I believe. So when you were doing Steadfast, was it a... a decision to focus on more religion-based band i mean you've worked a lot with zeo was that a conscious decision or just kind of something you fell into because they were just amazing yeah so i've always been 
conflicted about that entire thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like wildly conflicted, probably overthinking it more than is healthy uh, for for a a big part of my young life. I'm way less concerned about it now. But um, it it was always a conscious effort. Um, I I grew up in a very religious Christian um, household, and that was a big part of my life um, for for a really long time. And it was a a really, um, it was really important to me that it wasn't just that. Mm-hmm. And that it wasn't a Christian label or a secular non-Christian label. It, I just wanted it to be a record label. I, I was definitely, of course, I worked with a bunch of bands that were Christian. Um, not all of them, by by uh, you know a fairly decent percentage. But it it definitely was a conscious decision to to kind of blend the two. I, I never, um, you know, I've, I've got, sorry, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to phrase this. Um, but yeah, I, I've got a lot of current, currently I have a lot of, um, just disassociation and problems with the church and Christianity in general. Um, but I still feel this this connection with mm-hmm. that world because that's what I grew up in. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with um, with blending the two. With, with um, it, you know, I I never I had never set out for it to be strictly a Christian label from the start. Um, I believe Outcast on the the first thing I put out was not a Christian band. Okay. Um, but it, it, it was a conscious decision to work with some of those bands because certainly at that, that point in that time in my life, that was a very big part of my life and very important to me. Um, and so it was definitely conscious that I did that. Um, and where I'm at with it now, feeling somewhat removed from that world, I, I, I still feel... Um, I still feel like there's validity in a lot of this music and yeah, sure. that, um, you know, I would never just kind of shut it off one way or the other, um, on either side of it, I think. Um, and I, I think that's important for anything creative or anything artistic that we look at. And, um, if it's impacting us in a way that, um, you know, makes us feel something or makes us question something or, um, you, you know, it, causes us pause in a healthy way or even in an unhealthy way sometimes i think there's some validity to just you know kind of letting letting that happen and seeing where it takes us so i don't know i'm, I'm just kind of rambling at this yeah, point no. you know, <laughs> off that, the topic um, of the question yeah. um yeah because i kind of touched on it with mike i wish i'd gotten into it more with him but is that kind of how yeah. branson ended up being associated with like the Christian scene a little bit is just kind of between steadfast and six feet deep. You kind of just fell into that and, you know, yeah. ended up playing these festivals and yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, even with, um, with Branson, um, I, we all sort of identified as Christians at the time and 
made a very conscious effort to to not be this like this Christian band that only did those festivals. We we would do the festivals because it, it was hard to say no to um, just financially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even if they didn't. I don't think we ever got paid super well just for playing, but it was, you were playing to way more people. Um, you know, we played a, we drive 12 hours and play to 15 to 30 people. Um, and you know, over time that grew and definitely got better for us. But the, the mentality was let's just be a band and let's go mm-hmm. play shows in people's houses and at bars and at, you know places where we would go see shows um and so we made a conscious effort to um you know we it, it, nothing against and i'm not talking any trash at all but it, we we made an effort not to sign with the, the, the tooth and nail or with um christian labels specifically yeah. and i don't know i don't think tooth and nail even offered us anything i'm not saying we you know (laughs) i'm trying to be conscious that i'm not uh throwing dirt but um it it was important to us to just be a band and to uh, um you know anything we were wanting to share with as far as our personal lives and our faith and any of that it was it was more important to us to let that kind of speak for itself and um you know, hopefully carry through with what we did and that we were, you know, decent people first and mm-hmm. writing good music and having fun and, you know, just relatable people. We just wanted to come off as we're doing this because we love making music and we're good friends and these are the songs we want to write versus we're doing this as some like higher calling or um, as some like mission or does that make sense yeah yeah for sure okay for sure no yeah i was just always curious because yeah especially early on you guys and like the apple seed cast were this like weird yeah like thrown into that scene and i'm like they don't really belong it feels like (laughs) same with like uh was it uh love drug Oh yeah, like yeah, like totally. when Mike started, Michael started Love Drug. It was like, well, he was in Carrie Ravine, so they can just be. And it was like, yeah, they don't. I don't think they should be here. <laughs> right, right, totally. Uh, yeah, but I, it, yeah. So I mean, we would play the festivals. Just like I said, you're making fifty to one hundred fifty bucks mm-hmm. a night, and spending three times that in gas. It's hard to say no to a, a festival that's going to kind of cover you for yeah. the next couple weeks. <laughs> So yeah, let's talk about Branson. Yeah. Outside of Steadfest, that's what you've done. Longest music. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, uh, that was, pretty much where I put the brakes on Steadfast the first time is once we started doing Branson full-time um, I, I realized I couldn't do the record label properly that I wasn't going to be able to give any attention to bands or you know be able to do things the right way um, you know stuff's changed a lot mm-hmm. to where now you could probably do that on the road but man back then when we were doing this it was it was all phone booths and prepaid 
phone cards and um, it, I feel like we didn't even have email the first few tours so it, it, it was not something I could do both at yeah. the same time so once we had um, I think it was when we signed with Deep Elm and um, started touring um, and I, th I think it was that first tour we did with Appleseed Cast it was like this monster like three month tour or something and um, at that point I was like okay well I'm putting the label on hold pretty much and we're just gonna we're just gonna do this full time um, and that was it we just kind of like as soon as that hit that was that was our cycle we would just hit the road be on the road as much as we could um, usually for about a month to six weeks at a time and then we'd be home for about that long and then be back out on the road and in between on those month breaks at home we'd be most of us would be trying to uh, recover financially mm -hmm. <laughs> and paying bills and um, you know get caught up on all of that but in the meantime we were still writing and um, it was fun man it was super super cool to just you know live in a van with your friends and just drive all over the world with your friends and just play a bunch of stupid songs and but it just it just always felt like we got really lucky to be able to do that um and i guess you know i i say lucky because we did it for a long time mm -hmm. and looking back on it i'm not real sure how we made it work for as long as we did um but it was it was a blast and uh you know i wouldn't change any of it for the world it was all good memories so, so Mike gave us a lot of history of the band. Do you have any stories that are yeah. good brands yeah. stories? Yeah, yeah. Let me uh, let me sort of sort through the old archives here <laughs> and see what I can remember. Um, we did. We had one van that we swore was haunted um, because we had all had individually weird experiences in it while everybody else was asleep um so it wasn't uncommon for us to the show would be over it'd be like 1 a.m or something we'd pack up and get out of the venue it's 2 a.m and sometimes we'd just have to drive from there especially out west some of the drives were so long um so there were a lot of like after show all night drives and a lot of the times we would just shift driver so one person would be driving and everybody else would be asleep um but yeah i remember the one van specifically that we had we all had weird things happen um and i can't remember what the specific one was that happened to anybody else but mine, the one night I was driving and I felt two really distinct taps on the top of my head, oh my. <laughs> like, like somebody just patted my head, like good boy or something. <laughs> and I thought it was Jared and I yelled back at him, asked him what he wanted or something. And he was dead asleep and, um, swore that he didn't do it. So I don't know. That's kind of a boring story. There's definitely, um, there's definitely some good good uh stories of mayhem I, I i remember somebody um oh there was a there was a show in florida once that i um 
we were packing up and loading out. We played the early show, and the late show was like a goth dance night that had already started, and half our gear was still on the floor, but the floor was now like covered in like fluorescent lights oh, and man. fog, and like two two goth kids like dancing, and they were really annoyed that all our stuff was still there, but nobody else was there dancing yet, so it wasn't really. I felt like they just needed to go have a drink and just give it a minute. <laughs> um, so I grabbed uh, Jared's snare drum and took off my shirt and ran out next to them and just was really, really obnoxious. Um, I felt bad afterwards, but I thought it was really funny at the time. Um, man, I'm trying to think. I know I'm going to think of like 30, 30 good stories after I get off the phone with you. Um yeah, I'm totally blanking on good stories right now. Let's keep talking for a minute. All right. Remember. So what was your perspective and your take on the switch to Militia Group from Deep Elm? Well, I don't know. I I think it was definitely a, a, a good step forward for us. I, um, I, it, it gave us, like, a lot of new opportunities. Mm-hmm. It, they, they hooked us up right off the bat. We, they gave us... Um, a, like a a budget for for gear which we had never had like I, I think i got a guitar out of it and i was like oh my gosh somebody bought me a guitar just to make this record that's the coolest thing that's ever happened to me um so it it was it was really cool um it, with send us a signal we had way more time in the studio than we had ever had and that um just i think just really opened things up for us it, it gave us time to kind of do the songs the way they needed to be done and previously we just we just didn't have time we didn't have budget and Mm -hmm. we just had to rush through everything um so that that was super cool um and it was uh you know it was this um it was just new for us we it felt like a good home and i i'm not uh talking bad on deep elm but it it felt like there was this new new interest mm-hmm. that we hadn't really felt before so th- it, it was super cool and i had known both chad and rory for a long time um i think when i started steadfast um rory had also started another label before militia group um can't think of the name it started with an r um but yeah it, it, so like i had known rory from that for years and um chad worked at tooth and nail and Mm -hmm. was always out at our shows and had known him for a long time so it was super cool it was it it was like coming on board with with your friends and like it always just felt really nice going to their office and like just all these just fun people there and it was just a a really a good crew of people so felt like home it was nice awesome Whose idea was it to do the um, Hello Control promotional video? Oh, man. <laughs> um, are you talking about the black and white thing? The one where you guys are, like, in a hotel room? Oh, 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 <laughs> yeah. Man, oh, yeah. That was, it, that thing is weird and awesome, and I love that it's video. So <laughs> it's so it, It's very, um, thinking back on it now and seeing it after the fact, it's very... Um, Tim and Eric, yeah, 
stylistically, but I feel like that happened before Tim and Eric. Um, so I don't think we fully ripped them off. But man, that that I love that thing. That was a really one of the funnest things I think we ever did as that band. Um, but yeah, we were we were trapped in Denver, Denver or Fort Collins, somewhere in Colorado. Our van was broke down, and we were in a hotel room for. I think four or five days we had to cancel a bunch of shows our van just totally died on like a Thursday or Friday and they couldn't get the part until Monday and so we were just stuck there all this time and there there was nothing to do it wasn't near a cool city Um, I think we had like a pizza hut across the street that we could get takeout from and that was it it was just miserable (laughs) so I think we were surviving on like really cheap beer and pizza for like four days and i i think we were all just losing our mind and we somehow came up with the idea i i think hello control had been it was either recorded or just released i i don't know but we were on the on it must have been released because we were touring for hello control then um and we're just like what could we do that would be helpful for the band while we're stuck here, not even able to do the shows we're supposed to do. Um, and so we just decided probably under the influence of alcohol, but decided to, uh, to make an infomercial for ourselves. (laughs) Um, and from there it was just, we started like uh, cobbling together ideas of what it was going to be. And it just kept getting more and more ridiculous. And we just were like, okay, well, it's, let's do it so i think we had a a, a crummy video camera in the van and we just like dug that out and just started filming and edited it together in an hour or something in iMovie and put it up that was in the days of myspace i believe i think we just put it up on myspace um but yeah it was fun that's fun i still love that thing yeah i think i saw it like a few years back like on youtube and i was like yeah yeah what the hell is this I should put that up on the Steadfast site. I honestly it's, kind of it's, forget it's, about that. It's pretty damn funny. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to jump back uh, real quick. Um, yeah. Because uh, you have a Discogs page. Um, oh, yeah. And it credits you uh, as having done visual work. Yeah, yeah. So did you do all the artwork for... It looks like a bunch uh, of the Zao stuff. See. and. Um, yeah, some of the Zao stuff... A lot of the Steadfast stuff, um, some of the Branson stuff, some of it... Yeah, this says uh, Let's Call Today, the Let's Call Today 7-inch, and then um, oh, yeah. both trying to the figure out that and think, uh, Dial and Sounds. Oh, yeah, 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 Dial and Sounds. That one was fun to do. Um, yeah, it, Let's Call It A Day got screwed up. The files got screwed up, and it got printed wrong. Um, so that thing was never released the way it was supposed to. Oh, really? Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. So I've been. That's kind of my like my day job is uh, doing design work. So oh, cool. I um, I work for a company, and we we have uh, like an uh, Apple, or like an iOS and Android app, and so I do design for that. That's my my current day job. Uh, prior to that, I was doing like web design and just graphic design stuff in general. Um, but yeah, I've been doing, uh, visual design of one sort or another for probably about 20 years now. Um, 
I think that actually started with Branson, just sort of out of necessity. Well, not Branson, probably actually with the first round of Steadfast Records and having to, you know, design T-shirts and ads and stuff that I had never done before. Um, so you so just got into it just out of that. the need to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it, 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 as soon as I started doing it, I, I also was like, oh, this is, I kind of like doing this. This would be cool. And then anytime I got the opportunity to do like our t-shirts or just whatever I, it, so it just kind of always was something I was doing on the side. Yeah. Um, and then when we quit touring as the band and I had to line up uh, a real job, um, that was kind of where I was, I, I started freelancing, just doing that a lot. And um, I ended up being able to, because of that, I got some experience at a lot of like just digital agencies and uh, ad agencies in Cleveland. Um, and that kind of gave me, like somehow gave me enough experience and connections <laughs> to, to land a full-time job doing that. Um, and so that's basically what I've been doing since uh, Branson is, uh, as far as getting the paycheck and paying the bills is awesome. doing design work. But, um, yeah, that's just kind of, I feel like if I'm not doing something that's at least somewhat creative, even if it's in some weird corporate environment, mm -hmm. <laughs> if I'm not creating something, I think I'm just not very happy and probably not very fun to be around. Yeah. <laughs> try to keep myself occupied with making something that, most times cool this is you uh discarded to you for doing a uh, focus the hope that lies within hmm. <laughs> i don't know what that is about i wonder i may have uh, a photo credit or something maybe i looked there. i looked on the cassette but there was no credit to your name so i wasn't huh, sure that's weird i don't know yeah that's i don't know what where, here, so. i'm friends with those guys and we were friends with them back in the day um so that's why i was thinking maybe maybe i gave them a picture and got credited but maybe there's I a picture no in there i'll have to look through i don't know more closely. i definitely didn't do the artwork though um but yeah i don't know all right that's weird hmm. interesting though <laughs> all right i'm gonna have to bust out both the cd and the cassette it says you do yeah, both yeah now i'm curious so too I maybe there's a i also have there. a, a discogs page where i'm just selling all my old cds because they're just taking up space and um so i, I have um the, I, the, I i have to look up on there and see what my credits are now because oh. now i'm very curious yeah i two years ago i guess a year ago i got rid of all my jewel cases and just moved all my cds into uh notebooks oh nice nice which is a much easier way to store yeah them and I, I know I'm going to be pissed that I'm selling them. I know that I am. I, I'm so mad. At, at some point years ago, I sold a bunch of vinyl to like buy Christmas presents or something. Yeah. And every once in a while, I'm like, oh, man, I used to have that record. Why? Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I every time I ship out a CD, I'm like, man, I love this record. I know I'm going to be mad. At but they're just sitting in the basement. I listen to all my music either on records or on iTunes digitally. Right. Um, me, me too. Yeah. So but it's I, just, I kept uh, the CDs because... Yeah, yeah. Some, I, sometimes you need them in the car. Right, right, Somebody right. just yeah, stole my right. iPod out of the car over Christmas. Somebody oh, at the like, parking lot brutal. where they had it, they took it out. And, oh. So my CDs are important now. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs>
So what made you decide to bring Steadfast Records back after all this time? <clears throat> um, I, a couple things, really. Um, it it kind of just happened out of the blue. I, it wasn't something that I spent a lot of time thinking about. But I think as soon as the idea hit me, I was like, oh, I, I got to do this. This will be cool. I, I just... I, as soon as it, the idea came up, I was like, oh, I'm just fully in love with this and I'm going to do it. So, um, but yeah, it was this kind of, there were a few things that kind of led to it organically. Um, I, I would say mostly the, the Golden Streets, okay. uh, Golden Streets record. They had, um, they had finished recording it and um, they were sitting on it and trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, and they had just sort of, out of the blue decided they were just going to press it themselves. They, they pulled together the money and said, we're just going to put this out and, um, do it. And, um, it, it was right around that time. They had just started to get everything ready to do that. And we were all hanging out. And, um, I had for a, a bit in the back of my head been thinking about, it'd be cool to get some of the old steadfast stuff, just out to the streaming services, mm -hmm. uh, like just up on Spotify and iTunes and Amazon, or whatever. Um, and so, it, it was kind of in the back of my head. I hadn't really taken the time to think about the logistics of it or if I wanted to go all the way with it. But I just wanted them to be up there. Um, and then the other thing was, we, we did that um, that Swarm of Bats record, mm -hmm. and. Uh, it's probably mostly nostalgia, but I love that record <laughs> so much. It's probably, it's one of my favorite things musically that we've done. Um, and so I wanted a way to, to kind of get that out a, a little more because we weren't doing the band actively mm -hmm. and we had a band camp page with the record on it. And I think that was it. And nobody was watching it or maintaining it or anything. And so I just, I had this sort of collection of little things where I was like, I want to do something with some of these things. Um, and then they were talking about putting out their record on vinyl. And, um, I asked them, I said, are you guys doing it yourselves? Are you coming up with a label? Are you putting it out with anybody? Um, and it, somebody, one of them just suggested, like, well, you should just start Steadfast again and put it out on Steadfast. And it, it just kind of clicked right there. It was like, oh, that would totally make sense. It would be really beneficial for all of us really mm -hmm. and it just kind of worked out like they had this record all ready to go um and it just kind of happened and i was like oh well this will give me this sort of perfect path to kind of um kind of get get a fire lit under my butt to get some of these things done that i had kind of thought about doing for a little bit so it was just kind of this little mini storm of things i was like oh okay well i'm just gonna do this it, it, just kind of after that conversation that happened i think on a friday or saturday night and i think by sunday i had like almost had the website done i was like just working all weekend on trying to get stuff together getting things ready to announce it and um so yeah it was it, it was just kind of a bunch of little things that did it but I, i'm super happy with it it's been a few months now and it's been a lot of work 
but man, it's been so fun. It's been really cool for me to just kind of revisit some of these things and go back to these old records that, um, that you know, they just meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And if, if they meant something to somebody else, I'm happy to be able to share that with them. And um, yeah, it's just been, been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of good memories and reminiscing. That's awesome. Yeah, I think somebody had posted that, you know, Steadfast was back and All Else Failed was on Spotify. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And I think it was um, Adam Morgan, the drummer from Hope's Hall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He posted on Instagram. He was like, hey, Steadfast is up and they have old Branston vinyl. Go get it before it sells out. And I was like, nice. Oh, yeah, I want in on that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, no, Hope's Hall, these guys were known from back in the day with Branson and they're just always awesome dudes yeah. but yeah he he ordered one right after I put it up he was one of the first people that ordered it and I was like oh man Ryan that's awesome, that's awesome. I hadn't talked to him in years the future hold for steadfast yeah um so i've got a bunch of stuff i'm really excited about um very near future um just about ready to press the uh zeo all else failed on vinyl um i think i'm gonna do those on some cassettes as well awesome um but pretty excited to have that available on vinyl it's never been available before on vinyl and um i I don't know. I'm just I'm just super excited to hear it on a turntable. <laughs> so um, that's our our next release. I'm just just getting ready to uh, get a pre-order going on that before awesome. too long. Um, I've got some bread to um, do something with. Um, I, I think think if I can get all the pieces lined up, I'm gonna do a vinyl reissue of uh, Fallen Star Collection. Oh wow. Um, and I just found a full set of demos from that record also, um, that, that sound really good. So I, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with all of it. If I'm going to do one record or a record and a tape or two records or what, but still trying to sort all of the details out for that. And, um, just kind of figure out what that package is going to be but i'm excited about that i think that'll be cool um and i've got a lot of um a lot of branson demos that i want to sort through and see what's worth bringing out and Mm -hmm. sharing and what should stay in the box (laughs) but um yeah so there's a lot of stuff there that i want to sort through and just kind of see um i'm not sure what is next beyond that i'm i'm completely blanking right now because i don't have a list of 150 notes in front of me like i usually do <laughs> um i've got like 50 things going on right now and i just can't keep anything straight if i don't have a list in yeah. front of me <laughs> um hold on i'm getting my my book out so so i can remember oh yeah so i have uh, a, a uh, solo project music thing that I've been working on myself 
um, not not just me, but lately it's been mostly me. But I started this as a project with my my buddy Kevin, um, and that's called High Praise. Um, and the two of us wrote a couple songs together, um, and it, it just hasn't. It's just been really difficult for both of us to get our schedules lined up to do much more. Um, but I start to go a little crazy if I'm not working on something. Um, like I said, something creative, but a lot of times that means music to me. So um, I, I've just got a bunch of stuff kind of sitting in uh, just various stages of finished that I'm trying to kind of cobble together like an EP release that I'd like to get out this year. Um, but most of that stuff's instrumental, sort of, um, I don't know, maybe kind of shoegazy and kind of um, maybe a little post-rockish. Cool. Um, kind of stuff but hopefully um hopefully in the next month or so i'll have that sorted through and be able to like at least post a single track or something um but yeah i'm I'm just kind of rolling with it at this point i've, I've got the the zeo thing as a, a pretty much definite mm-hmm. um and the the branson vinyl i i think i'm gonna will be my next big project but um I know you put out some records yourself. You know how yeah, yeah. expensive that stuff gets. Yes, <laughs> and, yes, um, I do. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it's not a it's not a cheap hobby. No, and no, it's not, it's not easy to uh, to justify spending a lot of money and then trying to get people to care enough to make yeah. that money back. <laughs> um, why, but it's well, why people and, keep shifting back to cassettes because they're so much cheaper to do. Oh yeah, yeah, completely, absolutely, like it. it it's so much more doable to, you know, because you can do, you can do 50 of them and it's affordable. Yeah. And it, you don't have to do 500 if you can only right, sell 50. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I'm not sure, but I want to keep doing it. Um, definitely uh, digitally. I, I think I'm probably going to focus on doing a couple vinyl releases where I know I'll be able to at least cover the cost of mm-hmm. them. Like, Zeo and hopefully the Branson one, um, but it, it, it like I said, it's hard to justify spending that much on something, especially for you know if a band isn't super active and having a way to to move those records. So it it'll be digital and it'll be like uh, limited edition, short cassette runs of stuff. But I'm just gonna keep doing it, and as long as I'm having fun with it and can get you know, three or four other people of us, and I'm happy. <laughs> awesome. Matt, thanks so much. It was great yeah, to talk yeah. to you. Thanks for doing it. Totally. That. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I appreciate your time and appreciate you reaching out.
Texas. Storygrows.com and subscribe so you don't miss anything. Special thanks to Brian Patton who helps me out with the interviews, scheduling, and editing of this show. Visit the Bandcamp link in the notes of this show for some free cover songs, some free tunes, and merch. If you like what you heard and would like to help, there's a Patreon link on every episode, or you can look for the dollar sign on the website for one-time donations. If you can't afford to donate, no problem. Tell a friend, and thank you so much for listening today. We love you. Take care. Bye-bye.